Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Welcome to another episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. And I'm excited today we've got on a great person, and this person is 100% responsible for my addiction to crossbow hunting. We've got Wendy Hendrickson on, and uh, hey, Wendy, how are you doing today? We're doing great. How are you doing, Jason? Real good. Enjoying a warm day down in Texas again. And uh, as we ramp up this, this 2016 hunting season, you know, down here, we just pretty much have a year-round season, if you can stand the heat. We sure do. <laughs> There's nothing like sitting in a tree on a 100-degree night hunting hogs. Uh, yeah, that's become a passion of mine. I love to go out after them. So, uh, I think you've probably been... I don't know anybody in the state of Texas that's been more responsible for the the legalization of crossbows during some seasons the generation the generating of of press for crossbow hunting than you and your husband butch you guys have worked tirelessly about this uh tell me a little bit about yourself the your hunting background and then uh transition over to talk about crossbows if you wouldn't mind well sure well you know there's some people that like to go out and play, and then there's some people that like to go out and win. Well, I'm one of those very competitive people, and I wasn't a hunter at all. Uh, I was raised in a family that we did fit, we fished, and we camped, but we didn't hunt. And whenever I met Butch and his boys, they were always going out hunting and having big adventures and traveling to Colorado, stopping by the casino, winning money. And I thought one day, man, this sucks. I'm sitting here taking care of all his businesses. And the children that his other children that were at home, and I should be the one out going and having fun. So I just decided I would fake it, just fake it. And all I needed was that invitation. And well, he he gave me an invitation. Hey, you want to go out and hunt? Uh, sure. So I <laughs> I did. I, I thought, well, I'll just take my gun and I'll go sit in the trees and or the grass and go hide. And that's what I kind of did. We went out to a ranch that uh, we were working on and. First day, I kind of like hid in the brush. Butch kind of handed me the gun. He loaded it. He says, here, I'll pick you up a dark. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, no, no, don't teach me anything. Just, just hand it to me and turn me loose. So by, by the third day, I got a little more uh, confidence, and I stood up and went to a tree where I could use it for a gun rest. And within five minutes, I shot a buck on the other side of the creek. I was by myself, jumping up and down, doing circles. And then I thought, uh-oh, I have to go on the other side of the creek and go get it. Well, Butch came, picked me up at dark. I'd already tagged it and was sitting there waiting on him. And we had a bunch of people working with us. And uh, <clears throat> they uh, they were from Mexico. And in Mexico, the hunting is very limited. You have to have a lot of money to even be able to own a gun that you keep at the gun club, you know. So they just couldn't believe that a woman actually killed a deer. They didn't believe it. So we went by and showed them the deer. And they were astonished. And they asked if I if I would give them some of the meat, and I said, sure. Well, that was my, my wake-up moment. That was my light bulb that went off because I realized I had power to feed people. And then 
it went from there. I turned into Frankenstein with hunting. I wanted to go hunting all the time, you know. And uh, <clears throat> so we got a family lease. The guys would go out and they were shooting these deer. So they, there was uh, exotics around. I didn't know about pigs yet, but I found out while I was down there hunting. Within six months of hunting on that lease, I decided I wanted a cross. I just kept dreaming about a cross, but never seen one, never touched one. I just knew I had to have one. And that would help take me away from competing with people that had hunted all their lives. So Butch got me one for Christmas, and I went out. There was nothing. There was nothing available about hunting with crossbows anywhere. There was nothing. I mean, I searched libraries. This was before the internet, so of course we didn't have that back then. So I just started. To, I, I, I figured that out myself. I, I'd go set up about 40, 50 yards from a deer trail and sit under a tree, and when they'd come up the trail, I'd shoot them, and I was having great success. I I also realized, though, that with every hunt, I didn't exactly have to kill anything to have a fantastic hunt because I was seeing this game nice and close up and personal, and that was just fabulous. It was like they were going, oh, well, I shot this at 300 yards, and I'm like, I had a buck deer within five yards of me and didn't even realize I was sitting under the tree. So that kind of was infectious within the family. Everybody started thinking, hmm, this, this is sounding pretty good, you know, like a great adventure. And with the guns, like, you can only do so much. You, you set out goals for yourself. And, you know, I can, I can shoot 150 yards, 250, 300. After that, you have nowhere to go. And everybody does it, you know. So I was entering stuff in the record books, and of course, everything I was entering was an automatic world record because nobody had ever done it before. And that helped me pick up a, a pro staff position with Horton Crossbows. That was back when Lee Zimmerman was uh, the, uh, the sole owner, I believe. And then they ended up uh, splitting the company, and there was five owners. So they took me on. They picked me up as pro staff. I pulled Butch in with me. I told him we were a team. <clears throat> And the way he got into crossbows is I went to the first uh, Exotic Wildlife Association uh, banquet and uh, trophy dinner. They have a record book called Trophy Game Records of the World. So I went to my first banquet to get my awards and stuff, and they had an auction. And there was a Barnett crossbow up for auction, and I bought it. And whenever they brought it to the table for me, Butch grabbed it. He says, ooh, I like that. And he grabbed it, and he took it over. I never did touch that crossbow. (laughs) So then the competition was on because he was a man and he had hunted all his life and he was going to put me in my place because here I'm getting all this recognition, you know? And it was like, that's Mr. Wendy. <laughs> and then flashing. <laughs> so the competition was on. We and we had a big competition between us and everybody was watching. And at the time I was uh, writing stories for the Exotic Wildlife Association's magazine called Pigtails Adventures in Hog Hunting because I'd gotten really deep into hog hunting. And so they were everybody was watching and waiting for, for all the good stuff to come out, which we try to keep it at a minimum. But at the end of a year, we both entered eight trophy animals in the record book, and we didn't know exactly who won. I had a feeling I did. And then at the last, we were at the banquet, and I found out ahead of time that I'd, I'd actually won by one stinking point. <laughs> but I wasn't going to tell him, and they weren't going to tell him either. If that was fine with me, and I said, that's fine with me. We'll just leave it like that because that same year, I'd also won North American Hunter of the Year, Crossbow Hunter of the Year. No. 
what I I had one crossbow hunter of the year, but that, with that one point and me holding it back, they gave the crossbow hunter of the year award to Butch, and I'd won something else. But anyway, so we're at the banquet, and he's not this way, but for some reason that day he walked up to me and he goes, "I beat you." I said, no, you didn't. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I said, no, you didn't. He said, yes, I did. Did you hear them? And I said, yep, but you didn't beat me. He said, yes, I did. Let's go count the points. And I said, okay, because we had a booth set up because we were guiding hunts back then. So we went back and looked at the paperwork, and yep, I beat him by one point. He was upset. It was good. It, you know, it was good. I told him, just it, it's done, it's over, because at that point I was defending what I'd done for a couple years on my own, and he was trying to you know, establish his spot that he was going to, he was the the man in the the family. (laughs) So it was all good. So after that, it was more, it's always been like team competition between us. So it went, we went on from there. We went on to guiding. We we did a lot of guiding and uh, that took us into um, working with the Paralyzed Veterans of America. We met David Small at the, one of the auctions and he had bought a hunt that we donated for, um, wheelchair bound veterans and he approached us and asked if that would be a problem because they were having trouble finding any guys that wanted to deal with handicapped people in wheelchairs and we said it's not a problem we'll do whatever we can to make sure that they're successful so we started doing that and we met a lot of great people and it became an annual event and if i came across somebody that was like a paralyzed veteran and they they weren't involved with the different chapters of safari club and stuff. David Smalls with the Safari Club International Desert Chapter. I would just call David and say, hey, I've got a hunter over here. <clears throat> I'll pay for the hunt, and, you know, no guy fees or anything. Can, can you help me out here with some connections? And he'd say, just let me call you back. And then he'd make a phone call to his board members, and they would agree to pay for the hunter to fly in, fly out, room and board while they were here, and taxidermy. So that worked out really well. And we got a lot of experience and met a lot of people and learned a lot about some of our paralyzed veterans. After so many years, you just get so burned out because you're you're working till midnight, getting back up at four o'clock in the morning and going again. And we, this that was our hobby business. It wasn't what put beans on the table. So we and, and I also I really did miss uh, being able to hunt opening day myself. You know because you're always you're always hunting, but you're hunting for somebody else to pull the trigger. So. We we finally we decided that we're we're going to kind of slip out of that because I found some other way to teach and educate through being a guide, and that was teaching other people about crossbows because there's a lot of people that were curious. In the meantime, <clears throat> Texas, you were legal to hunt with a crossbow during archery or during general season only, but not archery season. So we wanted to change that. <clears throat> So being one of the pro staffers with Horton Crossbows, and which was also Keith Warren, he he has a few hunting shows. Y'all probably know who Keith Warren is. Him and his family, his wife and uh, his two kids, they were involved in the group as well as Lee Zimmerman uh, from Horton Crossbows and Mark Bowers from Horton Crossbows. Uh, Jennifer Culper over at Barnett Crossbows, and there was a couple other people. I don't remember their names from Barnett. They were all the ones behind the scenes to help with uh, pushing to get crossbows legal during archery season. It started off with a hearing at Texas Parks and Wildlife. There were some connections there at Parks and Wildlife that helped Lee Zimmerman to be able to get it in there to have the hearing, and uh, that went really well. We went, we all went and testified. 
<clears throat> and it went real well in Austin. So then they uh, sent it to the Senate committee in Austin. And um, at that hearing, the same people showed up. Those same people showed up. I believe at Texas Parks and Wildlife, it was just Butch, myself, um, and uh, Keith Warren and his family. But at the, at the Senate committee meeting in Austin, it was the whole group showed up to come down here. And it went before the subcommittee with Estes as the chair, and it flew. So then it went on, and they legalized everything but five counties. And I believe the, the, I questioned that. And they told me it's basically there's a lot of federal land in the area that they that they excluded and just to leave it lay. The, the more I pushed, the more they kept telling me to leave it lay, so I did. I just figured we'd just get what we could and then maybe go back and revisit that at a later time, which which is probably wise. And uh, <clears throat> so that opened it up for archery season. So now we we can go out and hunt with a crossbow in archery season in Texas when it's 100 degrees. <laughs> uh, you know, it's... Really, it's the, being able to have the freedom to do what you would like to do is awesome. And Texas has always been a leader as far as giving their citizens freedoms. And that was one that we really appreciated that we acquired. It's not like we go out there and kill everything in archery season. You know, we rarely shoot anything in archery season. But it's, it's really nice to be able to just go sit and, and shop and see what's out there without a lot of pressure and bullets flying. Well, and that's the key is it's it's freedom, ability to choose how you want to be out there. There's, you know, I've said this before, you look at some of these new compound bows that are out there, they're far more lethal than a crossbow. Well, they're, 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 pretty, they're, they, they're pretty equivalent overall. You know, both have their pluses and both have their minuses. But it, all in all, they're equal because of all the technology that's um, been that has influenced the design of these bows, these modern day bows. I think the first volunteer effort I worked with you, and unfortunately, it was the last year it was done, was that big Texas Parks and Wildlife show. Oh yeah, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, we worked the Texas Parks and Wildlife Expo for two years. Uh, I was the range master, and we ran the crossbow shooting range. We probably, um, I believe it was, we ran 1,600 people through our booth in two eight-hour days each year. Everybody got to shoot twice, so we caught crossbows 3,200 times. And I tell you what, that's the hardest job there is, is finding a team to help you caught crossbows for two days out in the Texas heat. Let me tell you, by the time I was done, I felt like I'd been put through the ringer. <laughs> I'm not a big guy, and... They might have been smaller crossbows. Pull that thing enough, and you're about exhausted by the time you're done. <laughs> yeah, and then you have to talk to all these people and instruct them, and then they had uh, stands for prizes and stuff, and you had to do uh, counts for Texas Parks and Wildlife, you know, on every other person to go through their list of Caucasian, Latino, you know, and whatever on the list, and age group, and all those different brackets. So it was a handful <laughs> to run that crossbow shooting range. But, you know... Beside the work that we did, the physical labor, the rest of it was an awesome idea because so many people had opportunity to do something that they probably would otherwise never have the opportunity to do. Yeah, it was. A you know, you, they just ran out of uh, money, sponsors. You know, whenever the economy changed, they they didn't have the funding to continue it like they did before, which is sad. You know, but that's just part of the times of uh, politics. You know, it, it affects things in different ways, and the hunting and uh, and the government, the local government around here, 
it, it kind of stymied their their move to grow this thing even bigger. So what they did is they decided to go ahead and downsize and just do area expos. So I, hopefully that's doing well. It doesn't reach a lot of people anymore like it did before. But they're they're still trying to they're still trying to keep it going. So tell me for the listeners, you were involved with as you as you move through Horton. Uh, you you became involved with a gentleman that uh, designed a company, Camex Bows, and tell tell me a little bit about because right. I know you shoot that now. Yeah, that Dave Trauma. He he him and Mark Beck were both uh, engineers over at Horton Crossbows when we were pro staff over there, and Dave Trauma had designed what was called the Yukon. Which was a really neat crossbow. It was uh, perfect for use. You know, it was a 150-pound pull crossbow, and so it wasn't so hard on the kids. It was a great introductory bow. And I, I really appreciated that when we were guiding because we kept one at camp for people that would like to try to hunt with a crossbow. So he, um, Horton got so big and too many bosses. They got, too, they got too spread out with their money. So they ended up going under. And before they went under, he told me, he said, um, if you would wait for me, I want to build a crossbow. And with your help, with some input as a hunter, because, you know, most crossbows back then were uh, made for target shooting, not hunting. And I said, I, you know, I would love to. I was ecstatic about that. I would love to have a crossbow made for a hunter in my hand because, you know, the design for make, makes everything different according to how you have to handle the bow, holding the bow, the weight of the bow, you know, all this stuff, it all factors in. So he, um, whenever Horton went under and they dissolved the company, he, he started a company called Camex. He asked for some input. I gave him some input, and he, he's pretty slick himself, of course, you know, he. He's been out there working with crossbows for several years, decades. So the first year, he didn't get me the bow. He said he he just he ran into a problem. He didn't like it. He scrapped it, started all over again. And so I was starting to have my doubts there for a little while. I was like, I don't know if this is going to really come to formation or not, but I'll hang in there. And he finally, I think it was two and a half years later, he finally got it out and but his his whole concept was no big box stores it's all going to be quality and person to person he didn't like this you can go into the big box store and you can go pull it off the shelf and away you go he would build these crossbows and then he takes them out to the target and he would shoot targets which is also included in your package make sure he chronoed them because they were guaranteed to shoot 325 feet per second or better and that's exactly what he did. But at the same time, that was kind of the downfall of, in my opinion, of Camex is because he wasn't in the big box stores where people could just go out there and pull it off the shelf. You had to get it from him directly or off the website. But he had the, he had a, the perfect idea as far as, you know, being quality. But, yeah, you do need some of that quantity to help you survive at the same time. Sure. And so he, he got, I guess, Camex got taken over by one of the big groups um, in the outdoor industry right now. There's big groups that are going and, and taking up or buying up all these other companies. And that's kind of a problem, in my opinion, as a pro staffer or shooter. We've been pro staffer muddy for 10 years or so, and it also helps us with our bow fishing adventures. But now, if I want to shoot, if I want to be pro staff for Muzzy and shoot the Muzzy Phantoms that I've been shooting all this time, I also have to shoot 
I'll let knock products that I don't like, and I prefer another one, which I shoot for them. You know, I, I get a sponsorship from this other company because I only like to shoot the best products. So that puts me in a bad position if I want to keep that position shooting what I've been shooting all these years and sponsoring that company, then I have to pick up their other products that they sell or I'm out. I guess you could say I'm probably out with Muzzy now because I'm not going to switch from my Luminox. I love my Luminox. And, and I, I tell you, the Ivan Price, the, those people over there, they've always treated us really well. So, I mean, there's no complaints there at all. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, and if I have to pay, I'll pay. You know, you just you can't give up quality to help just help with marketing with something that you don't believe in. That's not who I am. You know, if I don't like it, I'm going to tell you, I don't like this. It's junk. <laughs> I'm dangerous, as they, they say. I, I don't go with the flow necessarily. I have an opinion and I give it. <laughs> well, and that's good. The unfortunate part is when you get into some of these, when it's, when it's no longer a small company where you're dealing with an owner who can objectively listen to what you're saying. Right. Then you start to hear about, well, maybe it's because... You, you know, if we run it through our 12 people and tell them that they got junk, yeah. there's going to be too much yeah. pushback. Yeah. And, yeah, that's that's that can be an issue when these owners start to get removed and it goes into just a corporate function. You know, I want exactly. to hunt with. That's exactly right. And, if, you know, if you if you like quality and, and you're not willing to give up your quality, then that's that's where you are. You just go on about your business and. You know, it does, it, in the in the big picture, it doesn't matter. You know, getting free product or whatever in exchange for a lie is still a lie. You know, but if you're going to go out there and do it because you believe in it, that's what you should do. Otherwise, there's no reason to go play. A lot of these companies, whenever you're pro staff, you get you get um, items or or you get um, what do you say? You get money to spend on their products, but then in exchange, you also have to make the company look good. Yet they're also able to use your stuff to advertise their product. But the downside is, you know, you don't want to be a liar. I, I'm out for the hunters first. The companies come second. If that company comes and goes, I'm still the hunter, and my friends and acquaintances are still my friends and acquaintances so that's how that is yeah you don't want to sell your soul uh that's right it's not worth whatever that is that they're giving you the crossbow the broadheads you know arrows whatever it is you just go out and you be true to yourself and you be true to your friends and your other your fellow hunters you have to be true to your your people you know so then as we move through with the hunting and with with the crossbows kind of started to form and i remember we would spend a lot of time talking on a crossbow hunting forum and uh, the ideas percolated to do kind of a local texas hunting club and eventually it came out to be the texas crossbow hunters club which you're the you and, and butch are the founders of it the the drivers behind it and talk a little well, there were there were several founders what happened, the site was called crossbow nation and it was a pretty small site when i stumbled across it i think it had 33 members when i first stumbled across it People would be online, but nobody would talk. So I thought, well, because I want I wanted crossbows to do well. So what I would do is post questions to get people to talk. So <laughs> this is kind of how it all started here, though. What happened was is, um, I, I posted uh, an invitation. I had a hunting lease down in South Furious, Texas. And I posted uh, uh, an invitation, but you had to post on the Crossbow Nation site at least 10 times before you could get an invitation to come down and hunt. So that's kind of where the concept of the hunting club came from, because uh, some people came down from Indiana and uh, specialized, and 
some came from Ohio. One of them was the owner of the Crossbow Nation site, and we had a big time. And then um, we didn't shoot anything on that lease. So I had another lease over in Carn City, and that was on the way back out of state for them. So we stopped there, and it was so funny because my daughter came to help, and she was cooking and stuff too. So we hadn't been there for nine months. We went through, and we threw up uh, pop-up blinds at five stands, and Butch went behind me with the hunters and threw them all in those five stands. And... <laughs> There, we had some adventures. Some um, the, the owner of Crossbow Nation, he shot a javelin. He had a, a guy, a cameraman with him filming for one of the hunting shows. And he'd never been to Texas, I don't think, much less out there in South Texas with all that <laughs> mesquite and thorns and dust. But he shot a javelin. And uh, that, so that was that was fun for them. And while we while we were helping them track so that they could go back and film and stuff, we we had radios going with everybody. And one of the uh, Cajun firemen, he hadn't shot anything, and he was ready to get out. So we went and picked him up. All this time, we, we were talking to a Cajun lawyer. He was a lawyer. His name is Dennis Can uh, Dennison Kennison Dan. His name was Kennison Dan. He'd never hunted with a crossbow. Okay, so you were down in Carn City and. Uh dealing with Kenneth and Dan, and I remember him. He's a character. <laughs> He's a character, all right. Yeah, he, he was one of these techie guys. Spent a lot of money and did a lot of research on anything having to do with crossbows, arrows, broadheads. And we put him back there in my stand in the very back of the property. And it's real active back there. So he kept texting that, you know, he, first he shot a javelina. We told him, we'll just stay there because you're allowed to hunt hogs after dark here in Texas. Just sit there and see if you can't get a pig while we were, you know, dealing with other hunters. <laughs> We get a text and he said, it said, bear, 400 pounds. What to do? What to do? And Butch, we knew there's no bears in South Texas where we were. <laughs> Butch texted back and he goes, coon? He said, no, bear, 400 pounds. I'm scared. And Butch told him, well, shoot. He, so he shot. He shot, he shot the bear, you know? And he said, it's, a, it's flopping under the feeder. What to do? What to do? Butch said, well, shoot it again. <laughs> He recalled his bow and he shot it again. We called, stay right there. We're coming. We're on the way. So we get in the truck and we head back there and we're laughing because we know that there is no bear back there. And there's lights on our feeders and it seems it makes things look bigger than they actually are, you know, under the lights. So I'm staying the blind. So we get back there. Butch is rigged up to go tracking. And I walk on over to the blind and I see the doors open. And I was like, oh, Lordy. So I see him under the feeder over there shaking his head. He's in shock because there's this half-grown coon dead under the feeder. And he's embarrassed now. And so, and, you know, being being the good guy that I was at the time, I walk up and I said, well, see, you got your coon there, you know, and I'm trying to help him, you know, soothe it over. He said, yeah, I, I thought I could have swore that was a 400-pound bear. And I told him, well, I think that will probably make pretty good boudin. And about that time, Butch walked up and just died laughing. So it was all blown. My trying to cover and smooth everything over for him because I was videoing him at the same time. But in fact, it's on YouTube. <laughs> so... He was a little embarrassed, so we went on to track his javelina, and there wasn't much blood, and it was real dusty and dry down there. It was during the drought, so we were tracking by, by truck, by foot track, and they run in pods. So we get up in this all thick white brush and mesquite brush, and it's after dark, and I keep trying to walk with my video camera and track at the same time because these old guys that are with us, these cages, they have no idea what's going on. They've never hunted before. They've never hunted at night. never been to Texas. First time, everything. So we get back up in there and the trail forks and I told Bush, I think it went this way, so I'm going this way. And Bush says, well, I think it went that way and I'm going to go that way. And one of our hunters, one Cajuns was behind him, one was behind me. I wasn't really paying attention. I was just tracking and trying to film. Well, 
my battery died, so I went back and changed my light, and I left my camera. I should have never left my video camera. But it was probably, well, it probably was a good thing in the long run that I did leave my video camera back at the truck because I tried just a little further, and I see this little javelina underneath a pile of brush looking at me, and he's about five yards away, and I, I was carrying a 44 sidearm, and I, I said, I, told, I thought Dan, the hunter, the shooter, was standing behind me, but it was actually the Cajun fireman standing behind me, and Dan was over with Book. And I go, I pull my pistol out real slow and I was talking real quiet and I rolled the cylinder around because I keep two rounds of snake shot in front because I shoot a lot of rattlesnakes down here. And I wanted to get over to a, a hollow point. And I go, Dan, you want to save the skull? Dan, you want to save the skull? Well, he didn't answer me. It's because he wasn't standing behind me. It was the fireman. Butch looks over, you know, he's on the other fork of this trail and he starts yelling, shoot. Shoot! Well, that spooked I have leaning out that brush and came. I wasn't quite ready, but I slapped that re- revolver, uh, the cylinder in the revolver, too. And I took a shot because he were, here he came at me. And right off, I shot over it. And that little sucker, thank God, I had snake boots on because he went right between my legs, bounced off my leg, went behind me. And then that poor Cajun that was standing behind me, that this is his first time out here, he was scared of rattlesnakes, so he was wearing snake boots and chaps. Anyway, he, you know, he was a pretty big boy. He was out there dancing with that Halloween doing the high step, and that Halloween was running around his feet, so of course I couldn't shoot it. <laughs> and I saw him just standing there waiting with, with my pistol for a shot. <laughs> well, he finally left the Cajun fireman, and he ran straight to Butch, which was carrying a coach. Coach gun, coach shotgun, and he shot the Havelina probably two inches away from the barrel because it was after him next. Well, he dropped him, so that was the end of that adventure. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a camera person to follow you. <laughs> you mentioned you have a lot of these different things on video. What what can oh, somebody yeah. look under YouTube to find you? What is what's your handle on YouTube? Okay, it's Hog Hunter Diva's World. Hog Hunter Diva. Hog Hunter Diva. Yeah. Okay, and I'll have notes. Yeah, there's, there's there's about fifty videos on there. I, I I have about seven or eight years of video. I just never got around to editing. I figure I'm too busy hunting and filming right now to get to it someday. Well, <laughs> back to the that kind of why that hunt there kind of gave me the idea of. Uh, Everybody getting together as a hunting club. We were talking on Crossbow Nation, and I asked them to have our own room. And they said, well, if you were a legally organized um, business, then I would, I would do that for you all. So I contacted some of the other Texans that were on the site by that time. And uh, they all said, yeah, let's do, it, let's do it. And I said, okay, we'll do that. And so we started a sub-forum on Crossbow Nation, and then uh, we started our own website uh, forum because somebody else had one and it was full of porn and spam so we decided that wasn't the place for us and we had no control we didn't even know who owned the site so we figured we'd just back out of that delete all of our information and we'd just go start our own our own forum and site and that so that's what we did and um we had a formation meeting and hog hunt and hunt texas that um blackboard down hosted and that was, that was a lot of fun so that was actually the, the first annual official texas crossbow hunters club hunt and there was only five of us and I think two of them were my daughter and her boyfriend at the time so we'd have enough people for the stands and now we have like 30 hunters showing up at our membership meetings and all that so we've grown a little just a little and what I like is this, this group is it's got everybody you got youth in there you got women in there and you have the uh 
young men, you have older men, and everybody has their own niche that they can teach or share, and there's always something for everybody to learn from each other. You know, you learn more about technique and stuff by talking to somebody else than you do by stumbling across it yourself. You know, it's, so it's been really, really an awesome experience to have formed the Texas Crossbow Hunters Club. I, I, when we formed the meet, formed the membership meeting at the membership meeting, there is there are no heads to the Texas Crossbow Hunters Club. I just volunteered to administrate until um, positions were volunteered and taken over, but which kind of didn't happen. So I'm still here. <laughs> In the meantime, which. Butch acquired a lease for us, you know, because uh, he works out at all these different ranches in the construction business. And uh, there's this uh, big ranch over outside of Lakey that has problems with wild pigs, wild boar. And it's a, and I've hunted this ranch 15, 16 years ago, and I know it's a it's a uh, it's a group of more of the European boar, but they call like Russian boar. So they're the bigger, meaner, more athletic type pigs, and they run the mountains, so they're definitely in good shape. So I really wanted to get back out there. So what we did is we made an agreement. You know, as long as we ever saw our friends, we were more than welcome to go out to this ranch. Just 7,050 acres total to go do some hog removal for them and give our membership a place to get together and hunt. You know, so it's it, we've been doing that for about five years now, and it's been really, really a great experience. Well, and I was going to say, if everybody has any interest, they can go out to the Facebook page for Texas Crossbow Hunters Club. You can see a group picture from the last get together. Uh, it's the heading photo for the the page, and I think there's people from Texas in that picture. There's people from Indiana. Uh, Mark is in there from uh, the Netherlands. The Netherlands, yeah. Yeah, my brother from another mother. (laughs) I'm trying to think if there's other states that people came in from. That might have been it for that that Um, get-together. Yeah, there's there's people from Indiana, Ohio. We have some members in New York. Uh, people, uh, our buddy Pedro, uh, the hog slayer who passed away last year, he is another one that we got pulled in and addicted. And his family showed up, and they were from Mexico, yeah, so that they nice. could give. Uh, we we did a memorial award so that he'll never be forgotten. The Pedro Garza Hog Slayer Memorial uh, Award that goes out to the top hog hunter of the year within the club every year. So we're going to make that a tradition. And if you look at that picture on the Facebook page right now, on the far left side in a blue shirt holding a crossbow is Pedro's mom. So it was uh, very nice to get to meet her, and she was a very sweet lady. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Bless her heart. And I'll tell I just you, love Even if you don't have a crossbow, contact the group. Come on out because you'll get yep. at a at a minimum, you'll have probably 10 to 12 different crossbows to, that everybody will let you try. And if, if you don't walk away from there figuring out the crossbow you want, you never will because there's just everything <laughs> there that you can want. And, oh, yeah. Oh. you know, from the Camex to the Hortons to the Excaliburs, the... the Standpoint. The, I just Ridge. 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 And... Uh, so just a lot of good people there that will be more than happy to, to, to let you try just about any crossbow you want. And uh, that's right. so that's what it's all about. And so as we got that all up and running, one thing I noticed, 
and this is something I never got to participate in through my own stupidity, but you and Butch did a lot of bow fishing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I ended up being a director uh, for the Texas Bow Fishing Association for three years. I, I, I tried to get, it out, get out after two, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> it's so much fun when you volunteer for stuff, you know. <laughs> well, um, I was the only woman at the time that was competing in the bow fishing tournaments. And that was another area of the outdoors that I really wanted to see women get involved with. And, and kids, you know, kids, they're... They, they can they should be able to get into everything at a young age and experience everything at a young age. But there's a lot of people, like I said, don't have patience for it. But uh, during the tournaments, we even had we did have one youth that grew up to be a great bow hunter. He's uh, taken a lot of awards, doing some target competitions and stuff here in the state of Texas. His name's Robert Blackburn. But he started off whenever he was probably five, six years old. It was him and his dad. They didn't always win, but they always went out. He didn't always make it all night long, <laughs> but he went out all the time. He turned out, he, he grew up in the outdoors and bow fishing, and, and he turned out to be a really fine young man. But we did, we did the bow fishing, and um, I wanted to make my mark on that. So what I did was Butch and I started fishing tournaments, and uh, we traveled with our boat. We also guided. And it's, it's not easy because it's, the tournaments generally start at 8 o'clock at night and complete at 8 o'clock in the morning. So you have to be able to stay up all night and shoot fish. And so we did that and had a lot of fun and met a lot of people. And the last year that I played, uh, we won for the first time. It was a Texas Boat Fishing Association's three-man team of the year, and it was Butch and I, and we recruited uh, Butch's younger sister, Oogie, to be our third man. So basically it was two women, two old women, <laughs> and an old man beat all the young studs <laughs> for bow fishing, you know, for the for the tournament season that year. So that was pretty awesome. I didn't get a lot of congratulations from them 20 to 30-something-year-olds, but I knew I, I had whipped them up, <laughs> whipped up on them, and maybe they'd have a little bit more respect for women and and children and people that were trying to get into the bow fishing arena also. You know, you don't have to be King Kong to go out and win. You just have to get out there and have opportunity and want it, you know. There is no there is no sport that is simply just for men or just for women if you really want to do it, other than your physical limitations, you know. Sure. You do what you can as far as your physical limitations. It's like I wouldn't go play football. My physical limitations say uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you you know experience the outdoors is what it's all about you know you can live everybody can live in a house with four walls or whatever but you're not going to learn anything more from sitting inside and watching tv than you are from going outdoors and experiencing things on your own and taking somebody else with you and showing what you learn and help give them a little head start on their education or a reason to branch out, you know, go out and point out native plants, especially medicinal plants. That's so interesting. Things that you can eat in the wild, stuff like that. You know, go out and see what you can do as far as harvesting your own food, your own meat. And then you that spins off to learning how to cook it and do it very well, you know. So there's so much. It, it just spreads. One thing just spreads out so much. Now my now what I've been doing the past three years is learning how to make good sausage. 
I'm taking the venison that I harvest and all the pork that I harvest, and I'm trying to make really good sausage. So, you know, there's there's no end, there's no bottom to this. There's always something else to learn, yeah, and that's that's what I enjoy doing. That's a fantastic way to look at it because, you know, as you, as you go through, there's always something to learn, something new to pick up, uh, whether it be, you know, I do like to take my gun out to the range and, and see if I can hit a target way down there. Uh, That's right. Crossbow, I love to shoot that at, at, at times when I have the time. So, yes, it, it just fans out into uh, many different areas. You meet a lot of good people, just really willing to st- to step up and and help a new person or a, a seasoned person get involved. That's right. That's right. It's always about the experience. It's not always about the kill. It's about the experience and the people that you meet and the people that you're hunting with. Um, my husband, he, Butch, and I, we we were we dated for 25 years and then got married after 25. So now he's my husband. <laughs> if you go. If you go back looking in like Safari Club record book or Trophy Game Records of the World record book or any of the articles I wrote, it'll be under my maiden name, Wendy White, you know. But I was really proud to add Wendy White Hendrickson to my name after all these years. And uh, He's been my partner in business and in hunting and always propped me up, you know. There's nothing better than having somebody that gives you the opportunity and helps you flourish. And that's what that man did for me. And it all started off with just being invited to that first hunt. If without that invitation, none of this would have ever happened. I would have never been able to go around the world and go hunting with my crossbow. I would have never met so many people. I would never have found this path in my life if it wasn't for that first introduction. I know it's probably, hey, you know, it's like that with, with somebody new or with children or with you know, you don't really want to in, invite them because you're afraid that they're going to be a pain in the butt, you know. But you have no idea of what you're doing for that person until you've been on the other end of that. And then now it's time to pay it forward and do that with other people. Keep bringing them in. Children, women, don't have any fear. There's men. There's a lot of men out there that have no idea that they're not going to speak up and say, hey, I don't know how to do this because there are men and they are expected to know how to do everything. I come across that with meeting people uh, in the club, new members. And my advice is, is you come out and we'll show you the ropes and then you bring your family out and you look like the hero because you already know how things work and what's going on around here. So, yeah. And then you teach yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we might pick on you a little bit, you know, that's just part of it. <laughs> to be expected, but it's, you guys are, everything has been always uh, just a good time. And, and, you know, like you said, Get your spouse out there. Get get your wife. Get your husband. Get your kids. Uh, they'll all find something to do, and it it beats sitting uh, in front of the TV week after week. You know, that's right. Wildlife, and even if it's a squirrel, you'll be amazed. That's right. Kids find the enjoyment of a walk through the woods with, because there'll be dogs up there to play with, and there'll be. <laughs> There'll be people that uh, kids for them to hang out with and the kids will enjoy p- passing some of their knowledge on. So it's, it's a good time. And yep. It's always a good time. And, you know, think about it, Jason, whenever you look back at your you know family outings or good times you've had in your life, your favorite moments or whatever, 
None of them pertain to sitting in the house watching TV. They all pertain to interacting with other people and being outdoors more than likely. Your your favorite memories are usually the first time that your parents took you fishing or camping or, you know, out out on a hike if you did if your family did hikes instead of hunting or you know different families are different like i said i was brought up in a family that enjoyed the outdoors but we didn't hunt you didn't kill those poor little animals <laughs> so but you know even my dad's opinion changed after i you know i became a hunter and i was doing all this winning awards and record book entries and at first, I was kind of, you know, he scorned me. You know, I didn't raise you to, to kill these poor little innocent animals, you know, and it really hurt me to the core. But instead of saying something, I thought, well, I'm just going to keep rocking and doing what I'm doing, and I'm going to show him what this is about because he's not seeing the whole picture. He just thinks I'm about killing this poor little animal. Well, before it was over with, he was like, I will pay for your hunt license if you'll go shoot a deer to make me some dry sausage and some jerky, please. <laughs> yeah. And then I found out he was sneaking my the magazines I was had articles in, hunting articles and stuff. He was sneaking and taking those to his local HEB grocery store where his loved ones worked. They, they were all his friends there. And he was showing them what I was doing. He, he didn't necessarily tell me for a few years that he was proud of what I was doing. And his opinion had changed, but I found out that he did through other people how he w- he was bragging on me and showing what I was doing to other people. And then he he thought he came around because he, it was just like he didn't see the big picture of hunting. It's not just going out and killing that poor little animal. It's going out and selectively killing an animal to eat or to remove as a predator or a problem animal. You know, it's not killing to kill. It's hunting. You know, and it, that also means that it's not necessarily every time you go out, you're going to be successful in what you went out to harvest. Yeah, you know, it's hunting. It's not yeah. Well, Jason, my favorite hunt, let me tell you, my favorite hunt, and I wish I would have had a cameraman, but I didn't. And uh, my favorite hunt was I got to go to South Africa. And I think everybody that is a hunter needs to go to South Africa at least just one time because it changes your soul and the way you look at the whole world after you've been there and experienced the country, the people, the hunting. It was just the most awesome experience of my lifetime and it opened a lot of doors. And my favorite hunt, of course, I went chasing pigs. I shot the world record war hog crossbow down there in South Africa. And that was my favorite hunt of all. Uh, I was hunting with a guy that was nice and calm, cool, collected. I'd been with him for a few days. And he was always the calm one, and I'm always, you know, the the more excitable woman. (laughs) And we set up a pop-up blind right there on the uh, border of Botswana in South Africa. And we were in this pop-up blind, and I had like 50 warthogs in front of me. They had spread this uh, feed. It was uh, the leftovers, the holes from making hominy of corn and chicken manure. It smelled just beautiful. I had spread it out in front of me. And we're watching, you know, in a breast him pop-up blind, and all of a sudden this this hog comes in. It looked like the Tasmanian devil. He runs in there, and he gets right in the middle of that feed pile, and he's spinning. And so there's dust flying and feed flying, and there's war dogs running to get away from him. And my guide, his name was Eric, he's, shoot, he starts screaming, shoot, shoot. Mm-hmm. Well, back then, there wasn't, there wasn't scopes on crossbows yet, so I'm shooting with peep and pin. And I tell him, just, just calm down. Give me a minute to get on <laughs> He's going to shoot now, shoot now. And I'm like, I will, just, hold, just give me a second. <laughs> So finally, this warthog finally stopped just for a second, 
and I flung an arrow, and next thing you know, Eric Bell's out of the blind. He's just the same that he just jumped out of the blind and starts running, and I'm sitting there by myself in South Africa going, what just happened? You know? <laughs> well, come to find out what it was. I didn't know we were on the river in Botswana, and uh, he jumped out of the blind to make sure that it didn't cross over because at that time the river was had a lot of dry spots in it. So, but it was, but it was pretty exciting, you know. So we had to go back and go get other people to come back and help us track and stuff. Uh, it was lunchtime, and I found out in South Africa, whenever it's time to eat, you stop what you're doing and you go eat. No animal is more important than sitting down and eating. So. <laughs> That was the longest lunch I ever had was waiting so we could go back and go track that warthog. And oh, he's he's one of my most proud, proud hunts Where's that I've ever. records books now? Do you, have you checked lately? He, he, he's still number one as far as I know, under crossbow, well, number I've, one warthog. I've seen that mount, and, and I'm sitting here looking at my, uh, my warthog that I took, which I thought was big, but when you see this one, if there's a picture of it, just get a ruler out, and when you read the record books, that's a big warthog. And that's what I wanted. I really wanted a big warthog. I really wanted to go and go back to Africa and go chase a bush pig, but uh, I, I'm a little leery about traveling nowadays. I, I'll wait and see how the winds change around the world before I leave my home again, home state. <laughs> well, Wendy, it was a pleasure going over all this with you i appreciate your time i'll have in the notes for the listeners uh the different uh methods and and i'm assuming through the texas crossbow hunters club you're okay if somebody contacts you oh sure oh fantastic and we'll have this out links to the website and uh i i thank you for your time i had a blast i forgot about the bear so that was a good memory (laughs) Video is over it's on YouTube. Uh, what video I did get of it, so that was, that was funny and it's great that YouTube. You know, whenever you video stuff or record stuff, that you can document it for later time, so that you do never forget. You know, <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to sit around and shoot the breeze with you. I sure appreciate you. My pleasure, and uh, you have a great day, and, and we'll be in touch soon. Okay, you have a good one. Bye. Happens every year I start feeling kind of weird when the leaves start falling to the ground. I lie in bed at night hearing birds in flight. It's an unbelievable sound. The weather's getting cold, the kids are back at school. I should be buying them brand new clothes. But I spent my next check on a case of shells and a bunch of calls, don't you know? And I know for sure green heads are on their way I got a brand new boat and she's ready to go But we're still a month away I just can't stop thinking about the ducks we'll be killing If you ask my wife, she'll say 